With mandatory minicamp officially in the rearview mirror, how did Seattle's rookie class handle their first offseason program? I'll be breaking it down on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Glad to have you listening into our Blue Friday episode. And as always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Got a loaded Friday episode on tap. Going to be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment, breaking down how the rookies looked in their first offseason program. And we've got a special guest from the Seahawks backfield set to join us later in the show. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's early June. This time of year, optimism is flowing for all 32 NFL teams. Everybody is zero and zero. Everyone's in first place. Everyone's in last place. There hasn't been a game played yet, so everybody's got a shot at getting to the postseason, and there's plenty of positivity coming from coaches around the league. That's obviously doubled or tripled when you're talking about Pete Carroll, one of the most enthusiastic coaches out there. So not surprisingly, after Thursday's final minicamp practice, he was raving about how Seattle's incoming rookie draft class looked in their first offseason program, saying he was jacked about this group. And Rob Rang and I talked about Boye Mafe in particular yesterday, the comparison made to Cliff Averill, the closest fit to Cliff Averill that the Seahawks have had since Averill retired after the 2017 season. The athletic metrics, their production in college, their size, everything matches up. Obviously, that's big, that's big shoes for Boye Mafe to have to fill. But this is a guy with incredible athletic ability, was really productive last year, dominated the Senior Bowl, and he's been getting reps with the first team during minicamp and OTAs. So he's going to get a shot early to play extensive snaps, rushing the quarterback alongside Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nuosu. It's a great opportunity for him. But there are other players in this draft class that have impressed Pete Carroll and his coaching staff, in particular on the offensive line, being the number nine overall pick. Charles Cross has been the guy at left tackle ever since the start of rookie minicamp and going into OTAs. That continued into minicamp. He basically is getting all the reps at left tackle with the first team. They have Greg Island playing the position behind him. Stone Forsythe's gotten a few snaps at left tackle. He's been playing more right tackle, though, recently. And then on the right side, Abraham Lucas at minicamp jumped into the first unit. He was a second stringer during OTAs now getting his shot to play with the starters. And again, these are just OTAs and minicamps, so they're not going to be blocking anybody. You're not going to be picking starters. But clearly, the Seahawks view both of these guys as capable starters and are hoping they can win the job in training camp in the preseason. They're already in a position to be front runners for those two starting spots. And there's going to be growing pains with rookies, but they're really excited about both these players, two guys they picked in the top 72 selections being able to bolster their offensive line immediately and develop into a really good tandem of tackles moving forward. They could be set for the next seven to 10 years or so at the tackle position of both of these positions, both of these picks hit. And so this would be a big deal for the franchise, for the offense moving forward. In the backfield, Kenneth Walker talking about the speed and the attitude. They didn't get to see him do much the last couple of days at minicamp, but he impressed before dealing with a mild hamstring injury, was getting a lot of reps with Chris Carson not being available, Rashad Penny missed a few practices. 
So he was getting a lot of opportunities to show off his speed, his burst, his cutting ability. And so they're really excited to see where he fits in once they get back for training camp. He's going to have a chance to compete for carries immediately behind Rashad Penny, depending on whether Carson's available as well. This has a chance to be one of the best, if not the best, backfield in the NFL for the Seahawks this year. they got a lot of talent at that running back position. And you look at the other top picks that the Seahawks made. Kobe Bryant, their fourth-round selection, a player that was the Jim Thorpe Award winner, he made a number of plays on the football the last few practices. And Pete Carroll said he might have the best hands on the team. He's positioning himself to compete with Artie Burns, maybe Sidney Jones, to get snaps early on defense. This is an experienced, savvy player that's going to be ready to compete for that position after starting three years across from Ahmad Gardner being very productive with opposing quarterbacks targeting him a bunch. He is not going to be phased by this. He had a couple rocky OTAs when he first reported, but he is getting better every single practice. And Tariq Woolen, Pete Carroll said he's been the flashiest of Seattle's rookies, and that shouldn't be a surprise. Six foot four with four two six speed. You just don't see guys that size with that athleticism. And he was showing off those tools during their mini camp. Had several really good plays in coverage against Marquise Goodwin, one of the fastest receivers that you'll see out there. There was a sequence where he had to cover three or four vertical routes in a row, and he was able to bottle them all up. Certainly has some growing pains like every other position. He's raw. There were some routes he gave up immediate and uh, immediate separation. In the short to intermediate passing game, got a little bit handsy at times, would have gotten called for flags. So there are certainly things that he's going to have to work on. And technique-wise, that's going to be more noticeable when they get to 11-on-11 11 11 and when the pads come on in August. But a really good impression for him and a player that Pete Carroll said is four times faster than Brandon Browner, who obviously starred in Seattle's Legion of Boom secondary for a few years, was also six foot four. So raving about those players. If you're looking for a little bit of a negative for Pete Carroll, not necessarily that he was bashing the rookies because he wasn't, but he did make it clear they're going to have to really emphasize conditioning over the next six weeks between the end of their offseason program and the start of training camp because Walker and their two seventh-round picks, Dariq Young and Bo Melton, both receivers, they have been out for extended period of time in the offseason program dealing with hamstring issues. And so to avoid those soft tissue problems, the soreness, these guys need to really work on getting into top shape before they report to training camp to avoid further issues in that regard. Tyreek Smith is also a player that missed most of the offseason program. And so the fifth round pick at Ohio State is going to have to get healthy and get into top shape. So that was kind of the little bit of a nudge that Pete Carroll made publicly in his press conference yesterday to these rookies. Hey, this is on you. The next six weeks, really push the issue. Make sure you show up in top shape at your fastest, at your leanest, and that's going to give you the best chance to be successful and push for playing time right away. He's really excited about this group, and I think he coined it best. They have to force the issue, getting these guys into the lineup and see where they're at. And they haven't done that necessarily the last few years. They haven't been as aggressive getting young players in the lineup. I expect that to change with this group because there's a lot of talent, and obviously with the departures they've had, they're going to be looking for some of these rookies to step in right away and immediately contribute. Coming up next, I'm going to be answering your questions in our weekly Locked on Seahawks mailbag. You won't want to miss it. 
BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports informational needs. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We have an important favor to ask of you. We put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. It's officially time for our weekly mailbag segment. Tons of questions, Seahawks, NFL draft, upcoming season, you name it. So let's get to it. First question coming from Bertram tweets, is the DK contract situation going to be like all the other Seahawks contract situations that it's going to extend it into training camp with DK missing time? So I don't know that that's always happened. There have been plenty of examples where the Seahawks have been able to get deals knocked out before the start of training camp. Obviously last year, Dwayne Brown didn't get a new deal and Jamal Adams, the Seahawks waited until about a week into training camp and they were able to get that extension signed. But that hasn't been how it's been every single time. There have been examples of players that have signed in early to mid-July. There have been examples where players have signed extensions a couple days before the first practice at training camp. That's what the Seahawks can be hoping to do. As Pete Carroll said yesterday, you've got two crucial weeks coming up with negotiations. They have been in talks with DK Metcalf. You know John Schneider would like to get this taken care of before the first training camp practice. But if not before the first padded practice would be key. You want to make sure that you have your star receiver out there when the real football starts in August. So that's going to be the timeline. If they don't have this contract done by the start of training camp, yes, the panic meter is going to go up, but maybe not as much as some fans realize. There's still time for John Schneider to hash things out as he showed last year with Jamal Adams. So I still think that this is a situation that looks promising in the long run. The Seahawks will get this one done. But if it goes into training camp, not necessarily a surprise. It has happened before in the John Schneider, Pete Carroll regime. Josh tweets, which player do you think is better equipped to have a breakout fourth season, Marquise Blair or LJ Collier? This is a really interesting question because I'm actually torn on this. Marquise Blair is playing in a secondary that has Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs coming back. The slot corner position, you have Ugo Amadi and Justin Coleman came back in free agency. Justin Coleman might have been the best slot corner that the Seahawks have had during the Pete Carroll era. And if he can play at that level, then he has a chance to get significant snaps playing in nickel and dime packages for the Seahawks in his second tenure with the team. So there's no given that Marquise Blair is going to be able to carve out an extensive role in this defense. But at the same time, if he can play like he did in training camp two years ago, then he is one of the best 11 players on Seattle's defense. You can move him around, tons of positional versatility. So it feels like there could be a spot there for him. He's just going to have to prove he's healthy and carve it out, though. And right now he's been banged up still, is trying to make it back from kneecap surgery. 
They don't know if he's going to be ready for the start of training camp. This is a guy that needs to show he can stay healthy and be available to get into a rotational role on this defense. I still think he can do a lot of damage for him. And as for LJ Collier, I'm intrigued by the 3-4 defensive fit with him. 290-plus pounds now. He's bulked up some compared to last year. He's going to be playing all defensive tackle. I think this suits his game better, playing at that heavier weight, playing defensive tackle in the 3-4. That's where I anticipate he is going to have the most success, is in those pass-rushing situations from 3-tech or 4-I. So this may be the best chance he's had to really – take control of a role on the defensive line. He started 16 games two years ago, but he really has had a hard time consistently staying in that rotation. And I think this scheme gives him a chance. So I'm actually going to go with Collier right now to answer this question. I think he's going to have a chance to play those pass rushing downs as a defensive tackle. Blair's going to have to prove he can play like he did in training camp two years ago. If that player returns, then certainly he has a chance to play extensive snaps, but there's a ton of depth a lot of bodies in that secondary that he's going to have to beat out to get onto the field on Sundays. Bryant tweets, how has DJ Dallas looked? Where does he fit into the backfield equation with Ken Walker now on the team? So DJ Dallas has looked fast. He's looked quicker than expected during these OTAs and minicamps. Really, he flashed those skills the last couple of years. I think underrated speed from Dallas. He's not a burner necessarily, but he moves better than I think it was advertised coming out of Miami. Not going to be running four threes or low four fours in the 40, but underrated speed, quickness. Showed some power late last season when he got a chance to run the football. He is squarely in the mix for the third down running back role, though. I don't know that there's a higher ceiling for him if Ken Walker the third and Rashad Penny are both healthy. If Chris Carson is back for this season, it's going to be hard for him to get carries. This is a position, though, where injuries are prevalent, very high injury rate. So he's got a chance to be a guy that can get some carries at some point next season. But with the bodies in front of him, it's going to be tough to get more than a third down roll and be a key special teams player as he's been in his first two NFL seasons. Jenny tweets, if Deshaun Watson was actually interested in playing for the Seahawks, do you think they would have actually made a play to trade for him? Or was it just initial interest? Based on what I was told when the Watson trade rumors were starting to heat up, the Seahawks were doing a bit more than due diligence there. I would say that this was kind of mid-ground. I don't know that they were all in on wanting to trade for Deshaun Watson, but I think this was beyond the turning a rock over and seeing what's available to them. I think that they were interested in Deshaun Watson. I don't know that I would put him in that group of teams like the Falcons, the Saints, and obviously the Browns who traded for him. The Seahawks were clearly looking into this beyond just initial inspection. And then once it became clear that he didn't want to play in the Pacific Northwest, didn't want to go out West, wanted to be playing in the South or get a ton of guaranteed money, which the Browns ended up giving him. The Seahawks just weren't in the mix here ever really, aside from just reaching out and seeing if that might be a team he would want to play for. But with them having a no trade clause, it wasn't going to happen. I just I wouldn't put them in that same cluster as, say, the Saints or the Falcons or the Browns, where they were squarely interested, going all in, trading a bunch of first round picks. I don't know that Seattle would have done that. But John Schneider definitely would have entertained having conversations with the Texans if Watson had interest in playing in Seattle. That never happened. And right now, based on the way things look, Probably a good thing that the Seahawks didn't dive down that barrel any further than what they did, and now the Browns had to deal with that issue. Greg tweets, more likely to happen, Rashad Penny rushes for 1,200 yards or Noah Fant posts 850 receiving yards. Ooh, that's another one that's 
going to leave me torn a little bit because if Rashad Penny stays healthy, then I think he's got a great chance to get to 1,200 rushing yards. But how many games can you get out of him with the injury history that he's had? And you do have Ken Walker the third, maybe Chris Carson. Those two guys potentially getting carry He's going to make it much tougher for a guy to get that. So I'm actually going to say Noah Fant has a better chance to get to 850 receiving yards. I think tight ends are going to be a big focal point in this passing game with Drew Locke or Geno Smith as the quarterback. Fant's athleticism, I think Seattle's going to do everything they can to get him downfield. You've got Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf taking attention away from the defense. I just think there's going to be some really ideal matchups for Fant. And unlike past seasons, I think the Seahawks are going to be able to get their tight ends involved. Fant's looked really good in their offseason program. I think he's got a career year coming in this offense. Shane Waldron going to get those tight ends of the football a lot more than they have in recent years. Amanda tweets, watching Tyler Lockett throw on your Twitter account, who do you think would be the position player on the Seahawks best suited to play quarterback in an emergency? In the past, I would have said maybe somebody like David Moore. Um, you know, they've had a couple other players like Tanner McAvoy that has played quarterback in the past coming out of Wisconsin. But on the team right now, in terms of guys I've seen throw spirals on the field, Chris Carson has a cannon. And reporters have talked about this at training camp the last couple of years. When he gets a football in his hands and throws it, there's zip on the ball. So I actually would be intrigued to see Chris Carson in that type of situation. It would be a wildcat quarterback, but I wonder if he could actually throw the ball a little bit because he's got a nice spiral and good touch on the football. From what I've seen, again, very limited sample size. Haven't seen a lot of these other guys throw the football, but he's the one that immediately jumps out to you like, hey, that running back's got a cannon. So Chris Carson would definitely be one that I would consider if you got stuck in that situation. Hey, I need somebody that can throw the ball 10 yards with accuracy and some zip. Chris Carson would maybe be that guy potentially if you ended up in that situation. And last question here coming from Blake tweets, what should we make of Jake Curran being relegated to second string right guard? Is that already a sign he's out of the running to start at right tackle? No, it's June 9th or June 10th. He is not out of consideration for right tackle. The Seahawks have had a depth issue at guard with Gabe Jackson not being available coming back from knee surgery, wasn't going to participate in minicamp. And Curhan played some guard for them last year. So I don't think this is a demotion by any means. He's going to get his first team reps at right tackle. And Abe Lucas is going to, and maybe Stone Forsyth. Pete Carroll made it sound like this might be a three-player competition. So no, I would not look too deep into this the last couple of days that he's playing second string right guard. He is going to get his reps at right tackle. I still expect this to be a very competitive position group at that right tackle spot. Now with Forsyth being thrown into the mix potentially. So Kerhan is very much still alive. I would not look at this as the team already saying this is Abe Lucas's job. Kerhan's going to get his opportunities to win that starting job when camp opens in late July. Switching gears now, one of the big storylines for the Seahawks this offseason has been the health of Chris Carson coming off of neck surgery is he going to be able to play or is he not? Pete Carroll yesterday providing some updates, made it clear the Seahawks were keeping their fingers crossed that he may be able to play. Wasn't cleared a few weeks ago, wasn't able to participate in minicamp, but he has another doctor's appointment coming up in Dallas a couple of weeks from now. 
So what does Chris Carson think about his prognosis? Well, we're going to find out here. The two-time 1,000-yard rusher joining us here on Locked On Seahawks. Chris, it's great to see you. It's been kind of weird not seeing you on the field up to this point. We're not being out there. So. Yeah, I, I'm going to get started right away with this because I know you played high school ball, obviously, in Georgia, and then you were at Oklahoma. It had to be a shock to the system when you were coming out to Seattle. I'm yeah. from Indiana, and I remember how different it was coming out here. And yeah. it's just different for players when they're changing scenery anyway, adjusting to a new yeah. city. But you're teaming up with USAA to help a new teammate get acclimated. Can you take me through that process? Yeah, so basically I'm just – we teamed up with USAA, um, just showing Noah uh, around the Seattle uh, Seattle area. You know what I mean? He just got traded here from uh, Denver. So uh, we partnered with them, and they've been doing a great job, you know what I mean, just taking him to different spots around here, um, spots that he has to go to while he's out here. Um, but basically, at usamovers.com, uh, you can go down there if you want more information, tap in with them because they, you know I mean, they're doing a great job with that. Is there any recommendations that you made for Noah, obviously with you having to do this at one point coming out here, brand new city, any places that you had to recommend immediately, hey, you need to check this out? Yeah, I told him to, uh, to try out that pipe place, uh, pipe place market with the fish. You know what I mean? We went out there, uh, caught the fish. Um, other spots, you know, they got a million and one coffee shops. So um, I would say that the Ferris wheel is out here. Um, There's a couple of cool events that they, they have out here out at the, um, the center. Um, I mean, there's a lot to do out here. You know what I mean? He can't do everything at once. So he has a lot to keep his mind busy. Yeah, I got to give him a nice checklist to get through here. He got about six weeks here to try to knock out some of that stuff. But uh, as you mentioned, obviously it's it's been difficult not seeing you on the field, being used to being out there. You've gone through a lot of adversity in your career up to this point with injuries, and you've always made it back, and you've always been ready to roll. What has this process been like for you coming back from neck surgery? What have been the biggest challenges mentally and physically through this process? Um, for me, I just take it on with like any other injury I've been through. You know what I'm saying? It's always going to be a good or bad uh, with the process. Um, but, you know, we've been working real hard with my, my trainers and my, my physicians back in Atlanta and out here in Seattle. So, um, you know what I'm saying? We're just going to keep pushing. Uh, we got two in two weeks. I got to go see the doctor out in Dallas. So, um, hoping for good news and everything like that. But we're just going to keep training. Up to this point, how close do you think you are to being able to get back on the field? You know, if you're percentage-wise, or how close do you think you are, and what have you been able to do to this point as far as football-related activities or training to get back on the field? There's no real percentage. Um, you know what I'm saying? We're just, like I said, taking it day by day. And um, like I said, there's no timeline, anything like that. We just want to make sure I'm making the best decision, ultimately, um, when I do make that decision. And uh, we're just going to go for that. And – and if you don't want to answer this, Chris, obviously you don't have to, but mm -hmm. I just am curious about this because obviously Pete Carroll yesterday mentioned that you are fighting off the end and every NFL player has to consider that when mm -hmm. you play this sport. But has that gone through your mind here through this process as you're working back? Obviously you are confident you're hoping to get back, but have you thought about the possibility that this could be the end of your career? And if so, have, have you had a chance to reflect on what you've accomplished at this point? No, I never think about stuff like that. You know what I mean? For my my mindset is uh, if I have a chance to get out on the field, I'm going to do everything I can to get back on the field. So uh, I don't think about stuff like that. Um, I want to make the decision that's best for me ultimately. Um, but like I said, my mindset is 
playing. When Rashad Penny came into the league, I had to bring this up because Rashad, he's raved about you for the last couple of years. And obviously you've been a key mentor for him mm-hmm. throughout his time in the league. But what did you think last year, finally getting to see, he, like you, has had a lot of injury adversity that he's had to overcome. What did you think finally getting to see him pull through and have that breakout last five or six games to close out the season? Man, that was big. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's my guy. Yeah, you know I mean, so uh, just to see him out there having confidence in himself for one, that's that's big. You know, what I mean, it's a big hurdle for him. Um, but you know, we, this is something that he's been doing and something that he knew that he could do. It's just having that confidence in himself and having that opportunity. So it was a blessing in disguise um, with my injury. You know, what I'm saying, but he got the opportunity to show that what he could do. You know, what I mean, so ultimately, I'm happy for him, and he's going to keep getting better. Have you seen any significant changes in the way that he prepares or maybe his mindset? I know that he told us the other day that big issue for him was the social media stuff and letting expectations get to him a little bit too much. But have you seen him mature over the last couple of years with everything he's had to deal with? For sure, most definitely. Um, like you said, the social media, that's always going to play a big part in people's mindset. That's why I just tell them to stay off it, you know what I mean? Because, you know what I mean, it's, you, you can't control with that on that other side. But um, – the way he prepares is usually the same. You know, I mean, he, he's always prepared uh, as a pro, like a pro. Um, it was just having that confidence. That was his biggest thing, just having confidence in himself. And now that he he's starting to have that, you can start seeing his his game change and he's starting to uh, respond from that. Speaking of that backfield group, you've got Rashad coming back. Now Ken Walker the third is joining the football team. Have you had a chance to talk to the rookie yet to this point? And where do you see him fitting into this backfield with the dynamics of this group? Yeah, I chopped up with him for a little bit when I uh, was at the facility. Um, but yeah, he's a young kid, you know what I mean? Young, hungry uh, player. He's going to be, you know, it's going to take him a while to get adjusted to everything. But once he does, he's going to hit the ground running. Um, Seattle does a great job of just, you know, teaching, you know what I mean? Keeping it slow, kind of breaking things up for you so you're not taking all that, all of everything at one time. Um, but I think that for most, for the most part, he's, he's, He's fitting in. He's doing great. So um, training camp is going to be a real big test for him. You referenced the teaching for this coaching staff. And Shane Waldron now in his second season as the coordinator, he had a chance to play for him a bit last year before, obviously, the injury. And it looked like late in the year something just really clicked. This offense, the running game, obviously Rashad, big part of that, the offensive line. But everything just seemed to be in sync those last five or six games. What is it about this scheme that makes it so great for running backs and what Shane Waldron does and Andy Dickerson, the offensive line coach, what they do to get this run game rolling? It's, 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 I mean, you're going to have to talk to the offensive line coach really with the scheme and everything. I just think that the way they block everything up is just makes everything so much easier and makes it so much easier for the running back to declare where they're going. You know what I'm saying? Um, and they did do a good job mixing everything up too. So we're not just, limited just to the backfield. You know what I mean? We also can split out wide, um, which keeps defenses on their toes. You know what I mean? They can't just key on the running back to be in the backfield. You know what I'm saying? They got to respect us going out wide. So uh, he just does a good job just mixing everything up, uh, make everything look like the same. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, he's, he's been big. Rashad mentioned the other day that the 
mid option, uh, the mid zone was the play that really got the offense going. Is that your preferred run out of all the different concepts? And if so, what makes that so great for a running back? Because he just said it created a lot of freedom for him. Yeah, um, I, I like everything. Downhill, power plays, uh, zone scheme, I like them all. But I feel like with that in particular, it's just, like I said, it gives you one kind of read. You know what I'm saying? You got you reading. Well, I'm not going to say it gives you one read, but it just makes it easier for the running backs to declare where they're going. You know what I mean? And then with Penny, somebody that has a speed like he does, um, he can use that to get around the edge. He can cut it up. It just keeps the defenders on their toes on that part too. Me particularly, I like going downhill. So power plays, isos. Things like that when I have my shoulders squared to the line. That's my brain, buddy. You look towards this upcoming season. No Russell Wilson, no Bobby Wagner. Obviously, expectations are pretty low when you lose two future Hall of Famers like that. But you look at this team and where you guys are heading going into 2022. How did you react when those moves happened? And what gives you confidence that this team is going to remain competitive in the NFC West, even with those departures? Um, that's the Seattle Seahawks. You know what I mean? It's what Pete does mentally to to everybody to keep keep everybody riled up. You know what I mean? And get everybody ready for practice it makes everybody get better. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like uh, with losing Bobby and Russ as a two huge leaders has been part of this organization for years. Um, you know, they goats in my mind. Um, that just means new guys got to step up. You know what I mean? And we got that. We got a lot of young guys that are stepping up. Uh, and we still got Locke on the offensive end that's leading everybody. And you got Jamal Diggs on the defensive side that's leading everybody. So we got a lot of leaders. We lost two great ones, um, but that just means everybody else has to step up. And it's, it's going to be different. Um, but I think, you know, we, we head in the right direction. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out with this group because you got a lot of guys that are experienced leaders that have been here ready to step up. And – Hoping to see you back on the field when training camp opens the end of July. Chris, best of luck here the next couple of weeks, especially two weeks from now when you have that upcoming appointment. And hopefully you get the good news that everybody's hoping you get. For sure. I appreciate that. Special thanks to Chris for taking the time to chat with us about his recovery, the state of the Seahawks, and much more. Hoping for the best as he works towards returning to the field this upcoming season. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on Monday, Rob Rang and I are going to kick off our 90 players in 45 days series. Going to be looking at some of the players towards the back end of Seattle's roster. They're going to be battling for a roster spot and we're going to be putting a bow on Seattle's off-season program. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.